0: Bible Worm, Bible Worm, reading the Bible with Bible Worm. Welcome to Bible Worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, professor of religious studies at Hendricks College and theologian in residence of Canvas Community in Little Rock, Arkansas.
1: And I'm Dr. Amy Robertson, Director of Lifelong Learning and Music at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish, one Christian.
0: On this special Ash Wednesday episode, we're reading Mark 9, 30-37, the story of the disciples arguing about who is greatest. We talk about the specter of death that hangs over this text and the way that death anxiety may push the disciples and us toward cultural constructions of their own value. Yet Jesus redirects them, first by insisting that the last will be first and the first last, and then by instructing them to embrace those with no status in the social hierarchy at all. We also wrestle with Jesus' insistence on explaining his suffering and death to the disciples when they just can't seem to get it. Sometimes we just need to hear the words, even if we don't have the life experience to understand them yet. Someday we'll need those words, and what a gift it is to have received them. Thanks for joining us. Hey Amy, it's Bible Worm Time!
1: It's Bible worm Time! I
0: like starting that way because it always spurs something from you, but it's not the same thing. So sometimes it's a song, sometimes it's a cheer.
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah. It's like that. It reminds me of like, you know, the TV shows. I was going to say the TV shows that you watch when you're a little kid or when you're the parent of a little kid, but like they just make it sound so exciting.
0: They do. It is exciting. You don't have to make it sound exciting.
1: We used to have this children's book. I'm sure you have many in this genre called it's potty time like party yes. time but potty yeah. time I can still mm. do the whole book by heart but it just makes it sound so exciting it does
0: my favorite one in that genre was a book about Softy the Poop
1: oh <laughs> god <he's> like your... <laughs> I
0: know <laughs> he's like your friendly neighborhood poop and he can't wait to s- take a little swim Bobby
1: stop talking in your, stop. In your to- stop in your
0: potty with all no. his with all his toilet paper friends
1: undo I'm so sorry I brought up that genre <laughs> of children's literature Softy the Poop no <laughs>
0: It's good. It's good. Amy, if I sound a little crazy, it's because I have been at home with my children for a week because it's snowed in Arkansas and Arkansas is not well equipped for snow. And so it has been a long, long time. It's a little Lords of the Flies-ish in my home. It's a
1: little, yeah. I have memories of incidents like that when my children were young and it's, it's really something extra special.
0: It is. <laughs> It really was extra special. The first couple of days, we went sledding. We had chili; like it was amazing. And then, along about day three, it's like, okay, you people.
1: <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, and then it didn't. Need end. to go do yeah. something
0: else. Yeah. Uh huh.
1: Go read a book. No, yes. you're not going to do that. Okay.
0: <laughs> go do a podcast. So that's my excuse today. Is I'm doing a podcast, and so therefore, I need a little time away.
1: So this is going to be a four-hour podcast. <laughs> yes,
0: an extra special long edition in which we do <laughs> one hour per verse. The
1: snow day edition of Bibleware.
0: So we are in our special Ash Wednesday episode in Mark mm-hmm. chapter nine, verse thirty to thirty-seven. I don't
1: do. We should probably say something about Ash Wednesday. Should we say something about Ash Wednesday? I think something should be said about Ash Wednesday, <laughs> but I think that you should say it,
0: <laughs> Amy. Why don't you explain this liturgical tradition? That you have no connection to?
1: Every year it is, it's a, like, at what hour of the day do I realize that it's not just a lot of people are kind of <laughs> schmutzy today, but there's <laughs> actually a reason that they yes. have schmutz on their head.
0: So, in the Christian tradition, in the 40 days or thereabouts heading up to Easter, Christians observe a liturgical period known as Lent. And Lent is sort of an attempt to, reflect on the trials of Jesus and the temptations. The 40 days sort of reflects the temptations in the wilderness. And it is a time of reflecting on one's own mortality and on the ways in which we've sort of given in to the temptations of the world and sort of resetting ourselves in that sense with God and with faith. And so Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of that period. And so oftentimes Christians will have a service on Ash Wednesday. And part of that service is, as you were noting, the imposition of ashes on one's forehead. And the pastor will often say something like, you are dust and to dust you shall return, reminding people of their mortality and sort of setting the tone for the the period of Lent. So it's an interesting it's an interesting day and an interesting period and part of the point I think is you ought not think more highly of yourself than you know is warranted given mm. that you are a dusty creature. Mm. And so how to balance that and how to hold that with sort of yes and also you are a good creation of God and therefore you have inherent value as a human being like sort of holding that tension and letting go of ourselves at some level, but also not losing the value of ourselves. That's always been a little bit of the tension for me with Ash mm-hmm. Wednesday and with Lent.
1: It's really interesting to hold alongside this text we're going to read. Yeah. And I have to just say this one thing. At the end of the Yom Kippur liturgy, which is the holiday that we most famously reflect on our mortality, there is this line that is often read in English, at least in the congregations I've been in, that is similar. You are butt dust. However, by the time we get to it, we've been fasting for a really long time <laughs> and praying for a really yeah. long time. And so we're kind of losing our minds. And so everyone I know hears it as you are butt dust. <laughs> and like, then you just have to not yeah. break out into hysterics. Yeah. It's a problem.
0: But dust is left uh, after.
1: That really. Leaves. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Yeah. Back to butts. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, okay. This, this episode is right. going to require some editing.
1: Okay. <laughs> okay, we're focused.
0: So our text today is Mark 9, 30 to 37. We are a few verses after the Transfiguration, which is where we were in our last regular episode. Mm-hmm. Do we need a bridge to get to here, or shall we just start into this text?
1: I mean what happens in between that stands out to me is there is another healing that happens of a child who is possessed by demons, but there's an issue. There there are difficulties about it. The disciples can't do it. And then the father of this child says something like, if you're able to do anything, please help us. And that makes Jesus kind of mad. Jesus Mm -hmm. is, Jesus is seems irritated or unhappy in the last, in the intervening section here, like frustrated with the faithlessness of the generation. So I don't know if that sort of is still the the mood of this text, that sort of sense of impatience or urgency or you know, frustrated urgency in Jesus. But that that seems to me the thing that might might inform our reading of the next mm-hmm. section. One
0: of the interesting things about this set of texts, and especially reading it on the season of Ash Wednesday, is I work with this psychological theory sometimes that talks about mortality salience. That is when knowledge of your mortality is closer to consciousness than at other mm-hmm. times. Humans, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of construct ways of not reflecting on mortality. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those defenses kind of break down for various reasons. And the ways that people kind of react to that. And one way of reading this little section of text between the middle of chapter eight and the end of chapter 10 is Jesus is talking about suffering and death. Like that was what he announced at the end of chapter eight. I'm going to suffer and Mm -hmm. die. We'll see it again today. And we'll see it again, actually next time. Jesus is in this three chapter period talking about death and his response, like he's a little testy about it. People don't mm-hmm. get him. People mm-hmm. are trying to cover over, like trying to shift the conversation in different ways. So I, I wonder if some of the angstiness in this little section of Mark is about the presence of death and people just not knowing what to do with it. Yeah, that, yeah, sense.
1: That, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Okay,
0: so I will pick up in verse 30, and I'm reading in the Common English Bible. From there, Jesus and his followers went through Galilee, but he didn't want anyone to know it. This was because he was teaching his disciples. This was because he was teaching his disciples, the human one will be delivered into human hands. They will kill him. Three days after he is killed, he will rise up. But they didn't understand this kind of talk, and they were afraid to ask him. So, Amy, we've been through kind of a lot here in these recent chapters. We were... The disciples recognize Jesus as the Messiah, and then there's that whole conversation about what that means. They've been hearing about suffering and death. They've seen him, some of them have seen him transfigured. And here we get Jesus is trying to stay private. Here we know why. Along the way in Mark, we've seen Jesus trying to stay private, and we weren't clear why. But here it's said he didn't want anyone to know it because he was teaching his disciples about suffering and death. Can you just talk a little bit about that sense that Jesus really seems to want his closest followers here to get what he's talking about?
1: You know, I feel like I need to hold that question alongside the fact that it, every time Jesus has brought up this topic with them, it has said they didn't, either it has said they didn't understand, or there was that time that Peter was like, stop it. <laughs> yes, they don't understand, and it tells us again here that they don't understand. And so part of what I've been wondering, which is related to your question, is Jesus has already told them this. They don't really get it. What is What does it mean to continue to teach them? Like what is actually happening in this conversation? Mm. He's already said the words. They don't understand them or they can't absorb them. It doesn't make sense in the experience that they've had. And I guess, I mean, I guess the best I can think is that even though they can't really hold on to it, is the hope, is Jesus's hope that by reminding them of this and repeating it over and over again, it's almost like they sort of memorize that this is what's supposed to happen, even if it doesn't make sense to them, so that when it happens, they will sort of retro, in retrospect, be able to fit the whole thing together, but it's hard to hold on to information before it makes sense to you. So maybe Jesus just has to keep teaching it, even though they really are very not well equipped to learn it.
0: I really like that way of thinking about it, Amy. I was just thinking about that, you know, like having young children who are blissfully unaware of death when they're very small and then watching them sort of realize that death is a thing and then trying to talk to them about it and they do not get it. Yeah. And I, you, what you're making me like Jesus maybe is trying to do something sort of similar here. And, you know, I think like the way that I think about it with my own kids is I am, I want to talk about it in ways that they can kind of get their heads around even if they come up with weird stuff. Like my daughter, her first encounter with death, it was a weird series of things, but our neighbor's cat named Yoshi got run over by a car Mm -hmm. and we were the ones who found him and brought his body back and gave it to the owner. And so she experienced that. Like she loved that little cat. And then right at the same time, it was right around the time Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, And so my wife and I were really upset that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had died for a variety of reasons. And then my daughter created this sort of story in her head. Oh, and our dog had died. Our sweet Saduri dog had died.
1: How old was she at that time?
0: She was three, Hmm. I think. Something right in there.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And so then she had this story about, okay, well, death means that you get buried. And so she was like, well, maybe Yoshi and Saduri and Ruth Bader Ginsburg are playing chase together under the ground.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: it was like, she was, you know, just her little three-year-old mind trying to piece all the pieces together in a way that didn't make really any sense, but it was like sort of the best she could do. And it's sort of interesting to think about it that way, and then then it comes back at us. Like it continues to come back with different, more sophisticated questions. The older she gets,
1: yeah, right, right. And so the my goal always as a parent is like don't, and as a teacher too is don't tell them anything you're going to have to undo. Right. Like you might not be able to tell them the whole of it, or right. they won't be able to hold on to the whole of it. But yeah, give them give them some piece of it because they're going to circle back to it a lot.
0: But if you just don't talk about it, then when there is some more substantial death than the neighbor's cat, then they have no they have no way of thinking about it. And it's going to totally run them over. So they they need to kind of have had the ground tilled a little bit, which is Mm -hmm. kind of how I understood what you were saying is Jesus is Mm -hmm. trying to till the ground so that even though they can't get it right now, they're just putting it together in these not clear ways that then when it actually happens, then they will have some basis from which to process that event, the actual crucifixion, resurrection. Yeah. The other thing that you said in the last week in the transformation story, which I really loved about why Jesus was talking to Elijah and Moses,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you said he just needs somebody who understands what he's going through. And so I've wondered that too about this. Do you, you have any thoughts yeah. about that? Whether Jesus needs somebody to walk this journey with him?
1: I wondered that too. I wonder that Jesus is really profoundly alone, even though he is, even though he is never actually alone. Like my goodness, these people won't leave him alone. Like <laughs> between, right. you know, the disciples, but also the crowds. Like he is, he's not alone, but he, but he really is. I could absolutely see a hope from him in that position, that there would be some way to have have some group of people hold this with him.
0: Yeah. The sentence that Jesus says here, like, I mean, the way that I understand that is not just that he gives them this one sentence and it's like, why <laughs> don't you get that?
1: But like, this is sort of the
0: yeah. content of what he's, yeah. in various ways, he's trying to yes. explain this to them. Yes. The, the ending of it's really great. After three days, he will rise up. But it's the part before that, which uses delivered into human hands. They will kill him after he is killed. Like, and like, there is a way of handling all of this where you just focus on the last bit. Like Jesus is going to be raised up. (sighs) Yeah. And he is wanting to, I assume that the stumbling block really is the first part of it. It's about the the killing
1: part. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, I don't know what their thoughts are on resurrection, but it does seem that's a good question which of that which of those equations is which side of that is harder for them yeah because he doesn't say here that it's going to be one of you who does it right and so it might not be unimaginable to them that someone would kill him maybe i don't that i don't i love that question which part of that equation is harder for them yeah. to actually wrap their minds around or yeah yeah i don't know
0: now, when they hear this, they it says they don't understand, which we've talked about a little bit. And then it says, and they were afraid to ask him.
1: Yeah. What
0: what do you think is happening for them?
1: You know, I was okay, honestly, my first thought was because he was a little ornery in the section before this. Yeah. Um, and so maybe it's just they don't want to displease their teacher and get sort of scolded. But I was thinking about it this morning and just wondering, is the word there for fear or afraid, like the sort of fear, awe word?
0: It is, yeah. So sometimes it can mean actually like alarmed, afraid in that Mm -hmm. sense, Mm -hmm. but it can also mean reverence or respect or worship, fear of God, that, that kind of sense.
1: It's just so interesting, like reading this, Like thinking about it in the context of like they're basically talking to God (laughs) (laughs) is, you know, I can wrap my head around it in that context. But because it describes them in more of like a teacher-student relationship, I'm like, oh, that's so sad Mm -hmm. that they don't understand and they won't ask Mm -hmm. because they're afraid of their teacher. Like afraid that he'll be disappointed, afraid that they'll look stupid. What do you you think they're afraid of? Or is there no, like, real object there?
0: Well, I mean, I don't think there is an obvious answer, but these are the kinds of things that seem so interesting to me just to sort of play with possibilities. Yeah. So you're right the last time that they made a bold statement, the last last one I can think of is Peter Mm -hmm. saying, you're the Messiah, and then saying, oh, no, we'll never let that happen to you. And he got called Satan and was told to, like, Mm -hmm. get back in his place. Mm -hmm. And so... Jesus does not here seem to have been very understanding of failure to grasp the nuances. And so the stakes are clearly very high and they're not, they're not getting it. They know they're not getting it, but they've seen what happens. And like, why is Jesus so testy? I I don't know. Like it's, it's an urgent thing that he needs them to get. He probably does feel alone. I think he's probably anxious in Mark's gospel, Jesus does not ever seem particularly reconciled with his death. When he's in the garden of Gethsemane, the night before he dies, he prays three times that he wouldn't have to die. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I, I feel for Jesus, too, because I feel like he's he's trying to deal with this thing. And he, he needs somebody to understand. He needs them to get it. And nobody can get it. And so he is a little testy about it. And they just don't want to enter into that difficult conversation. Yeah. I'm not sure if this is relevant or not, but so my wife is a pastor. And so part of her job is that when somebody is on their deathbed, like knows they are about to die, she goes and talks to them. And I'm in awe of that part of the pastoral life Mm -hmm. because to me that is so scary. Like, I just don't know what to say to people. Like, what could I possibly say in this moment that is going to have been worth saying? Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I think the point is just to be present and right. to try to, under, to try to hear. But I get so nervous about it. And so I'm afraid to talk to people who are pondering their own death in a direct way. Like, I can talk about it in an yeah, academic yeah, classroom. Yeah. Like, hey, let's talk about death. But I wonder if the disciples have a little bit of that going on, like you just don't know how to talk to somebody who is going through something that you can't really understand. Yeah. So you're just afraid to say
1: anything. That's really interesting to think about what they don't understand, almost not as this idea, this whatever theology or some like trajectory he's laying out for them, but that they don't understand like em- empathically, empathetically they. They don't they don't know how to be with him in this in this experience. That actually mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense to me.
0: Mm-hmm. It gives me more compassion for them too, because mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. like I can totally relate to that. Mm-hmm. So I'll pick up then in verse 33. They entered Capernaum. When they had come into a house, he asked them, What were you arguing about during the journey? They didn't respond, since on the way, they had been debating with each other about who was the greatest. <laughs> Sweet disciples.
1: Sorry. Sorry. Continue. Can you, no, was,
0: that's where I was going to stop anyway. Can you just talk about your laughter?
1: <laughs> I actually wrote, like, LOL in the March of this. Not this year, from the last time we read this. Yeah. It just is like, we were just having such a moment, like, where, where Jesus is talking about, like, the biggest of big stuff. And... They can't understand and they're afraid to ask and it's so big and whatever. And then you find out that on that same journey, they were arguing not only about silly things, but about who was the greatest. Right. (laughs) Who was the greatest? Like, who's the greatest of all time?
0: Uh, This example of, like, them not getting it. Like, they very clearly do not get it. It's
1: really profound. I mean, it's like, that. just seems that is such an immature argument. To be happy. I just, it's just, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, I agree.
0: I absolutely agree with you. It is also true that we are in a Greco Roman culture in which people thought in hierarchies and knowing your proper place in the hierarchy Mm. actually was kind of important. It's like when you watch, you know, period pieces like Downton Abbey or whatever. And they're always like, you know, like there's very specific roles for people at different levels of the hierarchy. And I don't like, There's the nuances are such that I would never be able to understand it. Like Greco-Roman culture was a little bit like that. You sort of needed to know who was the person above you and who was the person below you and where did you fit in the order of things. So it is silly to be arguing about positionality, but it's also what they're, culture has given them Mm
1: -hmm. like it's
0: sort of a natural thing for them to be arguing about given where they come from
1: that's helpful that gives me a little more empathy
0: (laughs) yeah um, but it's still interesting that like it still is silly and so you know then you start to think well okay then the things that the culture has given us to think about are are silly things yes that is for sure true
1: then and now yes (laughs) yeah
0: my favorite part about that is they just don't they just don't say anything (laughs) what were you guys talking about Oh, I do I didn't. <laughs> yeah. What
1: I didn't hear a question. Did you hear a question? No. Clearly, okay.
0: they have been called out. No.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm curious here, Amy, whether you think so. Here, Jesus asks a question, and you could read Jesus as legitimately not knowing what they've been talking about.
1: Hmm.
0: So asking a like, hey, what were you guys talking about? Or you can imagine Jesus has been listening to this whole conversation, or knows it somehow or other. And so he's asking in the way that you ask when you already know the answer. Do you have, do you read Jesus one of those ways?
1: Oh, I had not really thought about that. But those are really different reads. The first one is so sort of friendly and conversational. And the second (laughs) one is is much more removed from them. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of just holding up a mirror to them. It's interesting to reflect on their silence, which I assume, you know, reflects some sense of like shame or knowing that they shouldn't be arguing about that. Yeah. Whether they know that from things that Jesus has taught them already, but it's the kind of thing like they know that that's not what they're supposed to do, but they (laughs) like, that's the culture they swim in. And so they just are kind of holding these two different approaches to life and, and that just is what it is. I guess that, I guess if you're saying that their culture would have encouraged this kind of, you know, ranking, then the tension they feel about it must come, must come from their conversations with Jesus or must come from Jewish teachers. I don't know. What do you think?
0: The way that I'm thinking about it right now is on this idea of mortality salience that I was talking about earlier. Mm. One of the things that social psychologists argue is that when people become More aware of death, like when it's closer to consciousness, we cling tighter to Mm. our cultural constructs of meaningfulness Mm. because that's what protects us. When we Mm -hmm. think about death, we want to know that we are people of significance in a structured world that has order and therefore that our life has some purpose. And so, if you think about it that way, then Jesus is talking about suffering and death. And then this argument about where do I fit in the, in the culturally constructed hierarchy actually makes total sense. That in order to, like, they can't talk about the death part. So yeah. they're going to embed themselves even more deeply in the honor-shame hierarchical mm-hmm. culture that has been mm-hmm. given to them. And they want to know exactly who they are. How much value do I have relative to everybody else? And so, you know, when we're faced with this kind of threat or the awareness of mortality or even a system that contradicts the meaning system that we have been Mm -hmm, given mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: in an interesting way. It kind of pushes us. At least the first move it can do is push us even deeper into the meaning system we have been given. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's maybe that's one way of reading what the disciples are doing here. They're clinging to what they've got in order to deal with this death thing that has been, been given to them. And Jesus kind of knows that that's what's going on.
1: Mm.
0: And I, and you're right. They are ashamed about it. And so maybe deep in their hearts, they know that this is contrary to what Jesus has been saying to them, but they just can't, they just can't deal with it. Yeah, And so they've had to reinvest themselves in, in something
1: else. That's so interesting, Bobby. So much of what you were saying was making me think about the kind of grappling that happens in the book of Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, yes. where it also is this person written in the voice of someone who has achieved all the stuff. They are the goat, you know, like they're the greatest. And also they're realizing it doesn't matter. And my experience has been that people reading that book, uh, it depends a lot on their age and their life experience, how they feel about the book. Some people find it incredibly depressing and upsetting because it is saying, just as you're saying, like that stuff actually doesn't matter. Right. (laughs) And you have to get over that part before you can move on to anything else. But they're not over that part. Yeah. Hi, y'all. It's Amy, one of your friendly co-hosts. And I want to tell you why Bible Worm is important to me. There's a Jewish tradition that Torah study is best done with a partner, a hevruta, we call it, someone who pushes you beyond where you would have gone on your own. Bobby was essentially my hevruta for 10 years of grad school, and I've never found a thought partner quite like him, so when he asked if I wanted to read text together, there was no real thought process before I said yes. The decision to record this podcast the way we do was risky. We don't have a script. We don't pre-talk things. We are thinking together live. And it is my hope that precisely because of that, you feel invited to think along with us. Because everyone needs a Hevrutta. And if you don't have one, I hope you will let us be yours. If this way of being in relationship to biblical text speaks to you the way it speaks to me, I hope you'll help sustain us through Patreon at whatever level makes sense for you. There are some nice perks if you need them liturgies, videos, monthly discussion groups, this year I've added some recordings of the chanting of these texts that you might hear in a synagogue. Or you can just support us to show your appreciation and help us know that this work matters. Thanks for listening and for supporting us however you can. So let's
0: see what Jesus then says to them, picking up in verse 35. He sat down called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be least of all and the servant of all. Jesus reached for a little child, placed him among the twelve, and embraced him. Then he said, Whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me isn't actually welcoming me, but rather the one who sent me. Hmm. Let's start with this first statement in verse 35. Jesus says, Whoever wants to be first must be least and the servant of all. How do you understand what Jesus's point is there?
1: Well, the way I want to understand it is I'm not sure what it actually says.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So reading it just sort of the plain sense of the text, the best way I understand it is really you 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 need to lead from behind like you lead by lifting up everybody else before you and not claiming any particular comfort or dignity or safety or luxury for your own body and that that's that kind of I guess what I would call like self-sacrifice is what is desired Mm -hmm. the way I want to read it Or the way that I understand this, I don't know, how ego works in the world in a way that is helpful or not helpful is a little more, okay, if I think about it in terms of body image, I work a lot with teenagers, so we talk a lot about body image. So, of course, there's body shaming, saying, like, your body is terrible, and then there's body positivity, which is the opposite of that. Like you should love everything about your body, but then there's this other choice that isn't talked about as much, which is body neutrality, which is sort of like your body, it does what it does and you're allowed to like it or not like it. Mm -hmm. You, you, you should take care of it, but don't let it distract you from the thing that's most like the things that are important. Don't let it hold you back, but that doesn't mean you have to, force yourself to get in this forced positive relationship that you don't actually feel. The reason I bring that up is because for me, the 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 goal seems like uh, more like the dissolution of the ego in the sense that like, you are part of a bigger, you are part of mm. something bigger. You are not a discrete entity who's, you know, like looking out for yourself, or really like debasing yourself. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm looking for this sort of middle ground where you're plugged into something larger, but I don't know that that is actually what Jesus is saying here.
0: Is there a, is there something that clues you to that's not what Jesus is saying?
1: Well, he says, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Like he's, he's holding on to the hierarchical, model, at least in his language, Mm -hmm. there is still a first yes, and a last and a servant. Yes. And I guess when I read servant of all, I see it as like servant of all other people, not servant of quote unquote, the cause that serves everyone, including you. Yeah. That's what I want it to be. Yeah. But I don't know that that's what it... That's what it's actually saying. Do you see this as like a a sort of fitting into the hierarchy, but just saying you need to flip it and be on the bottom of the hierarchy? Or do you think he's trying to mess with the whole idea of hierarchy?
0: Well, I think, so in my mind, there's two things to think about. One is what is this saying
1: Mm.
0: in itself? And then the Mm. other is then what happens when Jesus exemplifies that with this issue of the little child, which might- Nuance things a little bit, but I agree with you that the language Jesus has chosen here is hierarchical language. And, you know, they have been arguing about who gets to be first. And so Jesus is talking to them on those terms. Yeah. If you want to be first, you got to be last. And being last means being the servant of all. So I think you're right. Now, whether that is all that Jesus means or not, I'm not entirely sure. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But when you start from a conversation about who is the greatest, this is what you then say in in yeah. that framework, mm-hmm. then what you say mm-hmm. is, okay, all right, like, fair enough, you want to be first, which I actually kind of appreciate about Jesus mm-hmm. here, because he's not mm-hmm. saying you shouldn't want to be first, right. which maybe is what Jesus actually really means. But if that's what you want, here's how you do it in this in this new way. Mm -hmm. And so he has subverted the hierarchy, but he has not destroyed the hierarchy. He has not given us alternative to hierarchy, but he's flipped it on its head.
1: I really like that, Bobby, because I think it fits especially well with the fact that like he just was doing all this teaching. They don't understand. Like this is not the world that they live in. This is not their culture. And so you can talk till you're blue in the face, but they don't get it. So then you could imagine Jesus turns it around and is like, okay, what are you guys talking about?
0: Oh, I like Like, that.
1: Yeah. How can I meet you where you are? Like for real, this is where you are. Okay. Let's start. Let's start there. Amy, I love that.
0: Because then then Jesus is not quite such a judgy pants in that previous part. Jesus is more like, let's do some.
1: I see the blank looks on your faces. Yeah. (laughs) (coughs)
0: Let's talk. Let's let instead of you trying to get on my terms, let me talk to you on your terms.
1: Yeah. And do
0: the best I can with it. I like that a lot. That's so good. I like that.
1: That's really different than my first reading of it, but it is a, yeah, I think it could be productive.
0: Jesus here is also in some way or another, of course, talking about suffering, death, and resurrection, because he's not just talking about what the disciples should be doing, and how they should mm-hmm. be living, but he's also talking about what he is doing. And so his mission as the Messiah has been, or should be, I think, understood in Mark Exactly as being the servant of everyone. that That's the way Jesus leads yes. is by serving. And here serving means teaching and healing, ministering, but it also means dying and being yes. resurrected like giving up, giving up his life in the most yes. literal way. Yes. And therefore, so should you disciples. Not, not, not necessarily that you need to die on behalf of the gospel, but that you should be giving up the, desire to be first and lowering yourself to lift up others. For somebody like me, like I really need to hear that message from time to time. Usually when somebody in my position has a problem, it's that we think too highly of ourselves, not that we do not think highly enough of ourselves. And so in some ways, I think this is a helpful message. It seems to be a helpful message for the disciples who are grappling with greatness But there are certainly people for whom, like, you need to be even more of a servant than you already are Mm
1: -hmm.
0: is not necessarily what you need to hear. Do you have thoughts about that? Like, this idea of servantness. is that because the disciples are who they are and they're arguing about greatness? Would he say something different to somebody else,
1: do you think? That's such a good question, Bobby, because when you were first talking, I was thinking, well, if there were someone who just generally, like didn't have such a positive self- perception, then maybe this would be helpful because it it would sort of say like your goal isn't to be recognized as number one. like that it, that is opposite your goal. So maybe that could be freeing. But then as you continued talking, I was thinking just about people who are so disempowered by society and really have to advocate for themselves all the time right because because they're not going to get anything automatically the system's not going to give them anything automatically whereas it will give things to you and to me automatically and so yes you don't want to tell that person don't don't bother advocating for yourself because that'll look very different than if you or i stop advocating for ourselves
0: Here, I think, is the problem with, as you were pointing out, Jesus is still working in a hierarchical mentality.
1: Yes. And Mm -hmm.
0: whether that's his mentality or whether that's him meeting the disciples in their mentality, it's not entirely clear. But if you leave the hierarchy and you just push everybody to the bottom of the hierarchy, then that runs the risk of just keeping everything, ultimately keeping everything the same.
1: Right. No, I think that's right. And I think we are, I think we would do well to read this section in its context. You know, not just say, "Yeah, this applies universally to everybody in every situation. Like he is talking to a particular group yeah, who are in a particular situation.
0: So Jesus then does like a little engaged learning exercise.
1: Bobby, where'd he get this baby from? (laughs) Like out of his, like pulled a rabbit out of his hat. He took (laughs) off his Jesus hat and took out a baby.
0: That's really funny. I hadn't thought about it because he's just with the 12, isn't he? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's just been, like, this little baby running around with them.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, he finds a baby. Great.
0: I don't know. Maybe it was, like, a snow day in Galilee, and so some of the disciples had <laughs> <laughs> to bring their kids to work with them. It's like, well, what else are you going to do? <laughs>
1: uh-huh. Yeah, I think that's right.
0: So I think Jesus is trying to explain whoever wants to be first must be least in a servant by what he's doing with this child. What he does is bring the child into the group and— Hug the child and say, Whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. So, welcomes God. Mm -hmm. So, now we have shifted from the language of first and last to the language of welcome and embrace. I guess my question is just what do you think Jesus is trying to do with this little exercise of?
1: With this little exercise. Bobby, one thing that I have learned from you that was really helpful for me in the context of this was, you know, we in, and at least the, the, what I would say the predominant culture that surrounds me, babies are pretty universally adored and cherished. And we are a very potential oriented culture. And so a baby is sort of a symbol of, infinite potential and no mistakes and total purity and innocence and whatever. Yeah. And so asking them to be nice to the baby isn't, it doesn't, it it doesn't sound hard to me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Be nice to the baby. (laughs) (laughs) That makes it sound very different.
1: (laughs) Don't be mean to this baby. But I was wondering what would happen if we imagine that, th- so what, what I learned from you is that babies in the ancient world were not so much, were not necessarily sort of elevated to this like symbolic yeah. status in this way. And there might've been that you sort of earned people's honor and respect as you got older and as you had like the power to actually do things in the mm-hmm. world. And so a baby would really represent an incredibly vulnerable creature who I would say if you're looking at what the hierarchy would have been at that time is pretty pretty low to the bottom yes so it's like I'm giving you someone at the bottom of this imaginary hierarchy and saying your job is to lift up this to like welcome and lift up this creature and when you do so it's as though you're lifting up me who I guess the disciples would have thought would be much further up on the hierarchy.
0: Now, that's that's really important, Amy. I appreciate your bringing that back. The, the way that I th- think about that is, I mean, so the question is, well, what is the point of a child, right, in this example? Yeah. And I do think mm-hmm. you're right. In our culture, we tend to go to things like innocence or naivety or cuteness or something. But in the ancient world, especially because we've been talking about hierarchies and who is first and who is last and how does the hierarchy go the point of a child in this context I think is exactly that they have no status in the hierarchy mm-hmm. they are the lowest mm-hmm. rung like they have they are essentially nobodies when you start ranking the people
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that I think is in this context is what Jesus means by a child somebody who has no social status. Yeah, and so then we might need to rethink. It's not just about being welcoming of children, although it is that, but it's also about being welcoming of people who don't have social status in other ways in the hierarchies that, mm-hmm. that we create. Mm-hmm. The language of the CEB, I'm curious, is welcome. Whoever welcomes one of these children welcomes me. Is that in RSV too? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's the same.
0: In the the previous verse, Jesus embraced the child. Is that the same in the NRSV?
1: This just said he took a little child and put it among them and taking it in his arms, Mm. he said to them.
0: You used the language a minute ago of lifting up, Mm. which I think Jesus does. But when you say lifting up, it makes me think that what you have done is elevate them in the hierarchy.
1: Yeah, I meant it more metaphorically.
0: I and th- to me, the language of welcome and embrace is ex- is doing exactly the opposite of that, which is denying mm. the reality of the hierarchy.
1: Mm.
0: It's saying this one who in that social structure has no status is welcomed and embraced. But the, the, the sense of embraced and welcomed is like, we're all here together in a group. The child is amongst us and has been welcomed among us as a full member of this group but you don't know who's more or less important so they haven't ex- they haven't exactly been elevated it, it's that everybody has been mm. sort of now we are a group that welcomes each other that seems important to me
1: i love that as a as a continuation of, you know, we said before that the disciples are thinking about hierarchy and so Jesus answers them in terms of hierarchy, but then he goes on to give an example that I love what you said. And uh, I think that really resonates beautifully with the text that he moves away. He starts with, he meets them at the hierarchy. (laughs) He inverts it, but he meets them there. And then he takes a, a human who would be at the bottom of that, but then, but then ultimately asks them to, Yeah, to ignore the hierarchy entirely and do something else.
0: That's the way that I have been reading this. And I like that way of talking about the progression. Meet them on their terms. Explain the thing in terms of the hierarchy. You've got to be the least. And then then he moves to embrace and welcome, which is saying actually it's not just that you need to be the least. Mm -hmm. It's that you need to be part of the community that welcomes and embraces. So when we get to the end, it's not that Jesus has reinstated the hierarchy is that Jesus has used the hierarchy as a way of making the move that denies the importance of the hierarchy altogether.
1: Right. Because by welcoming the baby, you welcome their teacher, Jesus. And by welcoming the teacher, you welcome God. And so having some sort of, I don't want to say equivalence between the baby, but you know what I mean? Like you respond to them in the same way Yeah, that is a denial of the whole system that they've been running Mm on before.
0: It's so interesting to me that in your mental picture, this is a baby. The word is in Greek is Pideon, which can mean a baby. It can also mean a child of another age, you know, that's not yet an adult. Mm -hmm. And so my in my head, it's like a six-year-old or something. It's just I don't I don't know how that changes anything, but it's just interesting like what what one pictures.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe it's probably because I have a six-year-old, and so I got like, I'm like a, oh, "Okay, Jesus is welcoming
1: that." Welcome no, that. it is. It is. It is a different scene if you have a baby than a child who can <laughs> argue with you, yeah. or you know, answer you, or run away, yeah. or tell you what they need. I don't know.
0: So, Amy, this text started out with a conversation about death. And ended up with the embrace of a child. Like we've covered some topical territory (laughs) (laughs) in seven verses or eight verses or whatever we have here. Do do you see connections across that or have we sort of moved on to a different conversation?
1: I don't know if this is quite the connection that you might be, uh, what you mean by connection, but... I, I do like thinking about it now, which I hadn't thought of before this conversation as a progression to realizing how how to teach these actual students. Like it starts with this pretty abstract idea that they just don't understand. Then he asks, you know, we've, we've talked this through already. Then he asks what they're thinking about. They're thinking about hierarchy. He answers in terms of hierarchy. Then he kind of blows up the hierarchy and gives them a really concrete thing yes. to do. So it's gone from death to a child and it also has gone from a pretty difficult to grasp abstract feeling idea to an actual child who's, yeah. <laughs> who's sitting with them and is like what are you going to do here's what you do right yeah. now i imagine there is more that you can do with that and i would like to hear what no i know. love
0: that way of i love that way of reading from the abstract concept to the concrete action which is a, an action of embrace I think my sort of version of that is actually quite similar, but it's a little bit about how does one respond in the face of mortality? Mm -hmm. So given, given that death is where we start, what you're going to want to do is to prove that you are a person who is significant in the world. But what you're really meant to do is to embrace other people without regard for their significance and so it's still the same move but it's also a rejecting of one framework for deciding who who you do and do not welcome and it's or how you think of yourself in relationship to other people and it's saying what matters in the face of mortality what matters is mm-hmm. embracing embracing others I think it's quite similar. And I I love that it gives you like that. Here's the concrete thing to do. Like, okay, you can't, I've been trying to explain this thing to you. You can't get it. Just like welcome, welcome people as your equal that don't find welcome. It is so interesting that Jesus then, it's not just welcome the child, right? But it's, if you welcome the child, you welcome me, -hmm. which reminds me a little bit of the text we talked about last year in Matthew 25 where Jesus says, just as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me.
1: Mm-hmm. This
0: is kind of a yeah. similar thing when you welcome
1: yeah. somebody
0: with no status, you're welcoming me. What do you do with that? Jesus sort of plugging himself back in there at the end.
1: Thinking back to the beginning of this story and the, this, the really the tension that has come to be around him trying to teach this hard theological <laughs> concept to them about what's going to happen that they don't know what to do with. Maybe Jesus senses that they're afraid. Like they know their last conversation about this didn't go very well. And maybe Jesus, it's maybe a stretch, but is starting to realize like these guys are, n- are not quite going to be able to be his companions on mm-hmm. this journey. So there really is a question I feel like of how, how do they relate to each other? Like how can they truly wholeheartedly be with Jesus or welcome Jesus, even not understanding this incredibly important thing? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it offers a little bit of salve to that. Yeah. Yeah. I love
0: that. We've been talking about the loneliness of Jesus and how he is so misunderstood. And here he's sort of being embraced by proxy, right? Uh, Yeah, And that seems to be like he's been re-included in the community, even though he has not been understood by the welcome of people who are not on the social hierarchy. So they can do that. And so then it puts aside some of the, do you understand what I am telling you? Do you believe this thing that I'm giving you? It is, Mm -hmm. okay, well, all it means then to welcome Jesus is to welcome somebody who is not on the hierarchy. And you can do that. Yeah. Are there other things we should say about this text as a text?
1: The only other thought I had while you were talking a couple minutes ago was that maybe part of the, the, the there is a, 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 a Jewish idea that sometimes, you know, there are all these different mitzvot, all these different commandments that one could do. And the ones that are, the most sort of elevated or honored are the ones you can't get credit for and no one's ever going to pay you back Mm -hmm. for. So, you know, for example, the, the, the mitzvah of preparing a body for burial, nobody knows who is in the society of people who does this work for the community. Obviously the deceased is not going to be able to repay this honoring. And so I just had that in my mind too, in terms of like subverting the hierarchy both you are welcoming someone who has no status, and you're not getting any credit from the system yeah. for doing this. Whereas, like if if you're nice to the big boss, maybe they'll be nice to you later. The child mm-hmm. can't do anything for you,
0: so oh yeah, I love that.
1: It it's a true. It is not a self interested. You're not going to yeah. get anything from this, especially if it's a baby. It doesn't even care who you are. <laughs> well, I mean that's not true. Maybe be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really a baby person.
0: No, I like that because it comes back to that. If you want to be first, then here's what you do. And now Jesus is saying, in fact, if you want to, if you want to be first, it means embracing the people who can't help you be first. And so the goal of being first is not really what you're up to. It's, it's the goal of welcoming community. I like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Well, as you read this text, thinking about it in terms of, our world today and our communities that we live in what are you taking away as as something for us
1: i think i have been really moved or sort of put in a like reflect reflective posture by these stories of jesus trying to impart this really important thing to the disciples and the disciples really want to get it like they are on mm-hmm. board they have faith and they don't get it And I've been thinking about it because I have had many experiences myself where in the biblical text or in the Jewish liturgy, there are prayers that I I don't know what you're talking about. Like, like this has not been my experience in the world. I might actually disagree with the words of this (laughs) prayer. Like, I really, I don't know what you're talking about. And it used to really cause me quite a quite a lot of distress to encounter things like that in the text and not just not know what to do with them. And I have arrived at this sort of posture in the past, maybe just year of trying to think of them as more like there is, there is truth in here. Like this is reflecting a truth that's sort of like a pressed flower that somebody has left for me and, depending on my own life experience i may or may not be able to envision the flower based on the based on what's in the text but it's still worthwhile to learn what the texts are because as my life unfolds when i do have experiences mm-hmm. later in my life and i remember that thing and i realize like Oh, that's what that prayer is talking yes. about. Or this moment is what that psalm is talking about. It's so incredible. Mm. Because it's all of it's like, no, I'm not crazy and this is not a me thing. Like this is something that that people have experienced for generations. Like this is you sort of, I don't know, I can feel myself drop into something bigger than myself.
0: Mm.
1: But not necessarily from just reading. I can't learn the faith from The text in most situations or a lot of situations it's more like i have to i have to experience something in the world and then have this text in my mind and there are these moments that they that they come together so i wonder and i hope for that for the disciples Mm -hmm. yeah in there in that in the real frustration of having this teaching that they're just like i don't i don't I don't get it. And there's nothing you can really do intellectually to start to get it. They just have to see it unfold in the world. And then whoopa.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: That's what I got, Bobby. Does that happen to you that there are like prayers or texts that you don't understand? And then all of a sudden, I don't know. You see a leaf light up in a certain way. In the sun, <laughs> oh, you're that's cool. Like, oh. Well, no, it doesn't, have yeah. to, it doesn't have to be that, but like.
0: There are definitely things that I have heard and read and learned that I did not understand at the time. And then something has happened in my life that makes it relevant for sure that has happened. And, you know, you've got to be prepared for those moments. If you hadn't if you hadn't heard that or read that or listened to that or paid attention to that, and then you have that moment mm-hmm. that could have opened up for you, then you're going to miss it. And so I, I like that way of thinking about it, that the fact that the disciples are not getting what Jesus is talking about right now does not mean that either they or Jesus have failed. It just means that they haven't right. had the experience yet that they need. Mm-hmm. And when Jesus is resurrected, you know, they, they make their way to Galilee, which is what they are instructed to do. And so they have understood enough of what he has said to trust mm-hmm. what happens next. And so when they need it, they've got it just here. They, Here, they can't get there. I really like that way of reading it, Amy, because my own reading is sort of shifting away from that toward the other part, which one could read as Jesus gave up on trying to explain that one thing to them and talk to them a different way. But what you've sort of allowed there, I think, is Jesus has said, okay, we've we've talked about that this way, and when you need it, you've got it. Now let me talk to you in a different way. And so we're not leaving behind something to do something else. We're letting each thing be in its time. Mm. The way that I'm reading this text, especially in light of Ash Wednesday and this idea of you are dust and to dust you will return is about the presence of death that is here. And Jesus talking about his suffering and death being what initiates this whole conversation And the question about, so what then do you do? And I think the disciples' reaction of trying to figure out how they fit in the cultural values of the world that they live in, the Roman Empire, is entirely reasonable and the kind of thing that I also do. When I think like, okay, what is my life added up to? And I sort of like look at my CV as though like CV is what matters. Or I look at my CV and I think like, oh man, my life has not added up to much. And so that's kind of what they do. And Jesus in this really lovely way moves them from that to being the servant of all. And then at the end, I really love the embrace, welcome, make community with people who are not able to help you on your hierarchical journey. Mm. And so instead of you are dust and to dust you will return, it is you are dust. So welcome each other. You can fold yourself into a community, not because it's going to get you someplace, but because we need community and especially Mm. people who, find themselves low on the hierarchical rungs of the empire need embrace. And so let's, let's take down the ladder and let's create a little circle where a child can be embraced amongst us. And that's what you do when faced with mortality. And I really love that. It's not, it's not that sort of isolation of like, ha ha, you're going to die someday. So deal with it. I mean, although you are and you do need to, but the way to deal with it is by forming community with people you might not otherwise be in community with. I think that's really lovely. And I think you can kind of leave it. I like leaving it in the general sense of like find some people and welcome them. It is also helpful to me to say, okay, if a child represents somebody without status in the culture. Who are the people without status in my culture and how do I form relationships yes. with them?
1: Yes. I think that's a really important mm-hmm. question.
0: It's a harder question than just like find a, other upper middle class white people and like give them a hug. <laughs> but,
1: like how do we form mm-hmm.
0: genuine community that crosses these hierarchical lines? Yes. Canvas community where I worship is a is an attempt to do that. It's sometimes successful and sometimes not, but it's a, it's a lifelong endeavor to keep trying to embrace and welcome people and be embraced and welcomed by people who are, who are not yes. in the same yeah. hierarchical rung as you. Yeah. That's a good challenge for lint. Can, who can we welcome? I like that.
1: Yeah. Who can we, who can we welcome without looking for any credit for it?
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, Amy. Well, next time we are together, we'll be back on the regular narrative lectionary in Mark 10, 17 to 31, which is the story. We've talked about this story in a couple versions now of a man who is seeking eternal life, but he has a lot of possessions. Mm.
1: And so
0: that question that arises around possessions and life.
1: Yes. Tis a stumbling block. You're going to trip on your possessions.
0: <laughs> it is true. It is true. Kind of cram that camel through that needle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Amy. Well, thanks for this conversation.
1: I'll yeah, see you next time. I enjoyed time. it. I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Bible Worm. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we hope you'll help us keep it going by joining our Patreon for as little as $4 per month. You can also sign up for other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies, and more. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast for details.
1: Bible Worm is produced and edited by Bobby Williamson. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagby, and our theme music is The World at Large by Dano Songs. Many thanks to all of our Patreon supporters for helping make this podcast possible.
0: Join us next time when we'll read Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler as told in Mark 10, 17 to 31. Until then, keep on digging.